You can be seated. Good morning to everybody. Glad you're here. We're continuing this morning in our reading of the book of Acts. We're reading the entire book this summer as a church. We're in chapter 16, so if you have a seat Bible, that would be page 665. So grab there and open up. Um, now, uh, let me just give you an overview of where we're headed this morning. Um, we're going to read through the text, and there, one of the things that we're going to notice this morning is that life in the Holy Spirit is extraordinary. It's surprising, we might even say. So we're going you know, to have a little humor here, but just look at the top 10 surprising things that we notice in this text from life in the Holy Spirit here, okay? So uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, chapter 16. Paul went first to Derby. By the way, this is like a travelogue, a bit of a travelogue. Paul and Silas have been sent out by the church on a missionary journey. So they went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. First thing I want you to notice um, here is that Timothy, this young man that they encounter in this town of Derby, uh, they want to invite him along on the mission trip, okay? So how many of you have been on a mission trip? Um, some, you know, several of you in here. A lot of preparation. You got to get your passport. Um, you got to make preparations. In this place, what is surprising is that you need not only your passport for this trip with Paul, you also need to be circumcised, okay? So uh, just imagine being on that mission trip and think about the mentality of the people that are taking these trips. I mean, they are literally there for the good of the people that they're ministering to, not about themselves uh, willing to make uh, <clears throat> some sacrifices. So, um, let's, let's read in verse 6 of chapter, of chapter 16. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia, Phrygia in Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bith- Bithyna, but again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Interesting. They don't have their entire mission trip mapped out. They know kind of the general direction, and then they're praying to the Holy Spirit. Lord, where should we go? Where should, where, should, where should we go? And apparently several times the Holy Spirit says, not here, not here. Okay? Then Paul has a vision where he sees this strange Macedonian man saying, come over here, help us. Okay? So here's what's surprising. Number two, in life in the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is your travel agent, okay? and sometimes a strange guy from your dreams, Okay. Now, let's look at verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we preached Philippi. We reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. 
On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart. She accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized. She asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come home, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Now, number three, top surviving things of life in the Holy Spirit. When you go down by the river and meet a lady who you go live with, okay? So, interesting. Uh, apparently, they did not have reservations at the Holiday Inn for their travel. And so not only were they determining by the Holy Spirit where to go, who to talk to, but also where to stay. And the Lord provided this in the household of Lydia, who converted beautifully. Um, also notable, Paul, from his background, never would have been talking to a woman down by the river. Um, and so we see how the gospel and the good news breaks down all kinds of barriers, even the barriers of bigotry and patriarchy, um, and creates brothers and sisters um, out of people who would have otherwise not associated, okay? Now let's look in verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace and said, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Now, uh, interesting here, um, do a little background on this. There was a, there was a temple. Um, the, the goddess of that thing was symbolized by a snake. And there's some stuff in the Greek here that just shows that this lady was possessed by a demon of the python. Okay, so she was probably a prophetess at the temple. Um, and it's interesting, she begins to follow them, apparently annoyingly, shouting, you know, these men are servants of the Most High God. Now, I'm not sure what tone she was using. Um, I think it was, it was obviously exasperating Paul, so I think it was probably mocking. Um, so she's following them everywhere. And Paul, in the Holy Spirit, turns and just basically prays a prayer or delivers this demon out of this lady, um, which then disrupts the plan that her masters had for her to be able to tell fortune. So delivered the lady, ruined their business. Okay, and when, people, when you mess with people's money, you know how it goes. Things get funny. And so here's the top fourth, the fourth thing surprising in the Holy Spirit is sometimes demon ladies become your PR agents, okay? And this is weird, okay? But this is, this is extraordinary kind of circumstances and context that sometimes we find ourselves in as we try to share the good news, okay? Now, let's look at verse, look at verse 20, Okay, the whole city's in an uproar. They brought them before 
the, the, the cities and the city officials. And then verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into the prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and then clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I did not see that coming. Did you? That is surprising. Number five, when you decide to have a hymn sing after getting mobbed and beaten, okay, uh, this is unbelievable uh, source, a capacity for joy, even in suffering, because although they were beaten and mobbed, thrown into the inner, inner, inner dungeon here, they had a source of knowledge that the Lord was with them. They were not alone. They had a hope that went beyond the jail cell, and they sang. Okay? It's incredible. All the prisoners and the guards are obviously listening to this. So we pick it up in verse 26. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here. Now, interestingly, when people are beaten, mobbed, thrown into a dungeon, locked in stocks, and left basically for dead, they are the ones usually despairing. Would you agree? They're the ones that sometimes feel suicidal. They're singing, and what we learn from this text is that the jailer gets suicidal. Okay? So top, top 10 things that are surprising about this in the life of the Holy Spirit is when your jailer gets suicidal and you have to provide the mental health counseling, He's like, stop, right? Don't kill yourself. What happened? All right, so look, look here at verse 29. So Paul shouts to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, for lights, ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, this is unreal, right? Uh, the jailer, seeing the joy in the middle of the suffering, seeing the power of God through the earthquake, then seeing the fact that they cared about him, right, more than they did even their own freedom, is so overwhelmed. They had just preached the gospel to him in action, right? Then they tell him, they tell him the gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus who gives this kind of power and peace, and it can be yours also. And this household immediately uh, not only the jailer, but his entire household converts. They have a two-in-the-morning baptism. Uh, he cleans their wounds and, surprisingly, takes them home to have church with his family uh, in the middle of the night. So again, number seven, surprising. Uh, that life in the Holy Spirit, you never exactly know where to punctuate the story because it's really, really, really bad, then it's good, then it's bad, 
right? And then maybe it's going to be good again because the Lord is leading our lives, all right? Now let's look here what happens in verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let these men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. Yay. But Paul replied, they have beaten us publicly without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So he dropped the boom. That wasn't supposed to happen. You had rights as Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Okay, this is surprising, right? Normally, when you get released from jail, you leave. (laughs) Okay? Normally, you only get released from jail after you show admission of some kind of guilt, right? Contrition. They consider that at your probation trial. Okay? So Paul is not sorry. In fact, it's surprising. He wants them to be sorry. Okay? So this is surprising. When you won't leave jail unless they say sorry. Right? So the officials literally have to come down. Look, uh, 38. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail, apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. I think this is hilarious. Okay, when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. It's surprising when you're so awesome that people beg you to leave, right? It's pretty, pretty crazy. I, I thought I had 10, but we're going to stop at 9. Oh, I do have one more. Let's read, let's read chapter 17. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns. I can't even say these words, okay? Hard words. Came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob, start a riot. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? They attacked the home of Jason searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they're here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scripture day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And as a result, many Jews believed as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions 
for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join them. Now, you've heard the phrase, all religious people are the same. Right? You've heard that phrase? Not actually. Because we see in Thessalonica that the religious people there were very resistant, right? To the point that it was impossible to continue preaching the word there because they, were, they refused to learn and they got the whole city in an uproar. So Paul and Silas move on. They get to Berea. What are these people like? It's a neighboring city. They're open-minded. They want to learn. They search the scriptures. They begin to interact. And as a result, they let the truth into their hearts. Now, here's the question for you guys. What kind of religious person are you? Here this morning, like, are you, are you a Berean? Where you're still on the cutting edge of your growth? Where you're learning? Or are you more like the Thessalonians who think they've got it figured out and actually resist truth when it's staring them in the face? Okay, just an interesting question here. But it's surprising uh, to remember that not all religious people, not all people of faith, actually are the same in their outlook and mentality. Okay, now, we're going to dig deep in the remaining 10 minutes that we have together here in one particular story. So go back, to, go back to verse 22, and I want to focus in on the story here this morning that contrasts the jailer with Paul and Silas. Okay, so the story is they got, they got mobbed, they got beaten, the city officials say to this jailer, do not let these people escape. Okay, they're, they're, they're enemy number one. So he takes them. They're beaten. They're already chained. He takes them past the normal jail cells. He takes them down into the inner prison, which is kind of like the dungeon. Stinking place. Hopeless place. Filthy place. He puts them behind locked doors. Then he locks them in stocks. So now you're in chains inside of stocks, inside of a locked jail cell, inside of an inner dungeon, inside of a prison. Okay, that's pretty locked up. Would you agree? Okay, so this is, this is the story as we find it here in chapter 16. Okay, now the jailer works for Rome. He works for the civil authorities who work for Rome. This is a, this is a Roman-controlled city. Now, what stands behind the jailer's authority is actually Rome. I mean, you don't mess with the authorities. You don't mess with the jailer. The jailer works for the most powerful empire in the world. He's a symbol of power. In fact, it's his prison. In a jail, who's got the, pre, the keys to the prison? Well, the jailer, right? It's his keys. His prison, his keys, this guy is the man. Would you agree? He's in the seat of power. Enter Paul and Silas. They are not. They've been beaten in the public square. They've been bloodied. They've been bound. They're in chains. They're locked behind doors, prison doors. They have no power in terms of their freedom. The jailer has all the power. But this story invites, in the way that it's told, us to ask a deeper question, and it's this. Who is actually truly free? The jailer 
for Paul and Silas. When the earthquake comes, the jailer actually is exposed as a pretty, a pretty fragile guy, isn't he? For all his bravado, for all his power, for all his keys and his jail cell and his big empire, in, a, in the course of a few minutes, his entire world is shaken, literally. Right? And how does he respond? Abject fear. He's terrified at the loss, at the consequences that would be coming his way. He's terrified, humiliated at the loss of his professional status, his reputation. Turns out that this man, although very powerful, was living for the approval of his superiors and the public. He's filled with incredible shame to the point that he immediately slips into deep despondency, right? Interestingly, he would rather die than lose faith. And so he's about to cut his own throat, from which I just simply observe this. You know, it's possible to be sitting on top of the world, to have organized your life around the quest for freedom, and not be free. Turns out you can be successful, like really successful. It can be your jail, your keys, and not free. You can be rich, not free. You can be powerful, you can be prestigious, not free. See, if your freedom is based on externals, circumstances, to prop your freedom up, then you're only one earthquake, or you fill in the blank, away from collapse. You're not free, you're actually fragile. In contrast, we see Paul and Silas, right? They come in at the bottom of the pile, but here they are at midnight in the depth of night, in the depth of darkness, with every reason to despair. And what are they doing? They're singing in their stocks. They're calm. They're hopeful. They're actually loving. We see that their agenda isn't self-preservation. When the doors pop open, they don't run. They actually have concern for the fellow prisoners and for the jailer, the very one who had imprisoned them. They're faith-filled, and we have to ask the question really, really deeply, why? Why? See, their, their freedom was rooted on something on the inside, right? It's why they could have everything on the outside stripped. They could be in the depths and yet locate a source of hope that started in their gut, on the very inside of their persons, the knowledge that they were seen by God, that they were loved by God, that they had been adopted by God, that they were actually on a journey with God, that they were headed 
somewhere that went beyond that jail cell. In fact, it went beyond life and the grave itself to the resurrection of the one that they followed who had defeated death and broken open all the cells. And so they had a source of peace in the middle of changing circumstances. So we're invited to ask two really important questions this morning. Who is really free? But also, what is true freedom? What is it? There was a man named Viktor Frankl. This is a picture of him. He was thrown into a concentration camp, Auschwitz, as a young man, along with many members of his family who perished. Uh, We know the horrors of Auschwitz from our history books. Brutal place. Victor survived, and actually so did many others. And one of his lifelong questions was why. Why was it that some people survived in the depths of an earthly hell, others didn't? He was very surprised by what he saw and what he witnessed there. Some of the strongest physically were the first to die. Sometimes the weakest with internal fires survived. He also witnessed unbelievable brutality, but not just from the prison guards, actually from prisoners to other prisoners, because they would side with the Nazis to get favors, and some of the greatest brutalities, he said, were committed by other prisoners. So he wondered, why did some people turn mean and become less? Then he witnessed unbelievable acts of sacrifice, people giving away their last piece of bread as they were starving to help someone else becoming more beautiful, not less, and he wondered why. So he wrote a book, if you're interested in hearing the story, it's called Man's Quest for Meaning. Incredible book. So here's five things that I think parallel the message of Jesus that he learned. He learned that true freedom starts on the inside. There were some people locked up in Auschwitz who, like Paul and Silas, were free on the inside. And that freedom spilled out into all kinds of ways. There were others who had the keys, like the Nazis, who actually weren't. They were degrading their own humanity. He learned that freedom actually is rooted in our values on the inside. In other words, that keeping in step with who we are and what we truly believe is what creates peace. And that getting away from that no matter how much you have on the outside, creates emptiness and disillusion. Quite a message for the modern era, isn't it? He learned that people who were truly free and who survived and thrived, even in Auschwitz, were always living for something beyond themselves. Never met a person living for themselves who found power and peace. He discovered that freedom actually is related to hope, and hope is related to what's beyond right now. So people that had a a purpose that went beyond their present circumstance, something that they could look out into the future and actually set their sight on, had power on the inside. And he learned that all of this was actually an attitude, that freedom actually is not about who's behind what 
set of gates. It's what's living on on the inside. It's an attitude that shapes our perspective. It is exactly like Jesus who came to tell us that he was here to set us free. He said in the Gospels that if the Son, if Jesus sets you free, you are truly free. You are free for real. Uh, Because that freedom is something that touches the inside of the person. This is the hope, life-giving hope of eternal life that begins now. And he said in John 17 that this is eternal life, that you would know me, that you would know me, the one who God has sent. See, freedom is based in a connection, a relationship to God, and this is what comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we believe. Now, let me ask you this question. What binds you this morning? You know, I've lived long enough and talked to enough people to know that there are a lot of cords that bind the human heart. As we search for significance, as we search for freedom, it could be that some of you this morning have some secrets like your alcohol addiction or your prescription drug addiction or your street drugs um, that you turn for escape or comfort but have turned into another kind of prison in your heart. Some of you turn to porn or to illicit relationships or to fantasy and escape, kind of of all kinds. We have a huge industry here in the States. For that, um, good things kind of gone wrong. Maybe you just work all the time because your identity is rooted in your professional and your career. See, there's all kinds of prisons, all kinds of things that bind. What about the things that lock you out? You know what I'm saying? From your deepest longings, from your greatest hopes. You know, anxiety and fear and depression and anger, so many of the destructive dynamics of the human spirit rob us of our confidence, of our energy, sometimes of our relationships. Here's the beautiful message of this passage of the scripture this morning. The Holy Spirit's power is here to empower you to cast off chains, to break open doors, to help you to experience the reality of the abundant life, the true freedom, you know, that Jesus said he came to provide because he also said, whoever sins is a slave of friend. Whoever sins is a slave of sin. But I have come to set the human heart free. So we just end with this. What leads to freedom? We get some clues in this passage. You know, the jailer, as he begins to realize the true dynamics of freedom, begins his quest when he falls down trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. That's weird, isn't it? A jailer falling down in front of the prisoner, prisoners? 
That's what happened because he began to realize that many of the chains of his bondage that he maybe didn't even realize till that moment really were of his own making. And the same is true for us. When we realize that our way of managing our life has become unmanageable. Right? And we just have the courage to admit that. Freedom comes secondly when we ask the right question. You know, it's interesting the jailer could have fallen down at the feet of Paul and Silas and said, how do I get out of this mess? Okay, which is a little different question than what he asked. He asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And it could be here this morning that some of you have come to God at various times in your life, but as you think about it, the primary drive or the orientation of what you're after is to get out of your mess, not necessarily to get connected to God in the face of his beautiful son, Jesus, who loves you and actually wants not just to make your life happy, although he does, but to have a relationship with you, to bring you back into your purpose and your connection to God. And perhaps you need to imitate the jailer this morning and just say, you know, what must I do to be saved? And then thirdly, this, freedom comes when we admit our powerlessness, when we turn our lives over to God and we embrace a different way of following Jesus with others, with others. Notice that the, the conversion of this jailer was not just a solo affair. It involved all of his relationships, right? His household, and he immediately embedded himself inside of the life of a community, which we all need to actually break free sustainably to true freedom in our lives. The power of the Holy Spirit, closing here, shakes foundations, breaks chains, opens locked doors. Uh, and so I ask you this morning, as we've been asking every week, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me today? Can I pray for you? Lord, thank you for this ancient story with this incredibly contemporary, available, immediately available right now invitation to the kind of freedom that touches not just the outside of our lives, like the freedom that the American dream sort of provides, but goes underneath to the inside of our lives where only the Holy Spirit can shift and set free the human heart. I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice this morning, wherever they are on their journey, that new hope would rise up, that they would come with the jailer to the only one who can do this transforming work, Jesus Christ, and reach to him in faith and say, once again, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And you have the words of eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, the church here is a resource for you. Uh, we want to be available to converse with you, to process your questions, to be a companion with you in your faith journey. So if there's any ways that we can help you this week, you got to know Pastor Dan. He's got 10 kids, all right, and a beautiful wife and also a staff here that would love to meet you at whatever place of question that you have, okay? God bless you. Here's the message.